Hello, Film Files. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is a movie show theater. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is... Movie Show Theater. Alright, so, real quick, I have an announcement. Announcement, announcement. I'm not um, pregnant. Yes, Ben's not pregnant. I'm working on which it. Which is though. a relief for all of us. So, coming up on June 13th, Movie Show Theater is going to have a double feature movie event at the Apollo Theater. Um, It's going to be from 6 to 10, and you can stay for one, you can stay for both. We're going to be watching Night of the Living Dead, the original one from 1968. And we're going to be watching Westworld from 1973, one of my personal favorites. Um, there's going to be complimentary popcorn and soda, and audience participation and commentary will be muchly appreciated. This is going to be a blast. Very excited about this. Much, muchly? Muchly. It's going to be muchly. Muchly. Much, muchly, exci- muchly motley, encouraged. Like, I, I, motley crew? Okay, yes, great. muchly crew, muchly, actually. Muchly the crew. British pronunciation, oh, okay. yes. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Uh, my fault. It, can yep. it be Adam Westworld? Yeah, it can be. It'd be a little weirder. Is that going to be the unofficial third or film more that we've recut? Could be West Waterworld. We just have old clips of Batman that we insert into the film for no reason. Why not? Why not? Adam Westworld, everyone, unofficial third film. <laughs> wow. So uh, for ticket information, you can call 214-0756. I can't legally tell you how much they cost online, but... They are cheap, and you can get them at Blue um, in Peoria. They are at 619 West Main Street, one of our favorite places to go. Um, They're very plugged into the art community in Peoria, Um, so you can go and uh, get tickets there. You can also get them at the Apollo Theater, uh, which is at 311 Main Street, right above Richards, on Tuesdays from 1 to 3. Kind of an obscure time to get tickets, but like I said, if you want to make arrangements, just call... Two one four, zero seven five six. Gonna be a blast. So, not to be confused with the Apollo Creed Theater on the other side of. The oh my gosh, that place is so patriotic. Yeah, Stu knows he doesn't even have Stars to say it. Stars and stripes it. forever. They just keep that on a nonstop rotation. It kind of aggravates me, you know. Yeah. Speaking of wow. aggravating, Stuart, what yes. movie did you pick? The King's Speech. <laughs> That's not aggravating. I didn't find it aggravating. Well, I, I just I meant because you seen it. I liked it. I yes, liked it. yes. I Speaking of being by, aggravated yeah, I liked is what it. I should have I, said. I, I, I liked yeah. it. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. I liked it. I liked it. I liked it, too. I liked and it I figured I would like it. This is a shout-out to my uh, my good friend Tim, who, uh, you know, he, he is the one who uh, actually um, said he wanted us to talk about this film. Now, I had seen it before, and, and I completely agree with him. This is a, a film very worthy of being discussed on, on air, and... And, uh, again, congratulations to my friend Tim. He is getting married next month on the 30th to his lovely bride-to-be, Ashley. And this weekend is the um, is the bachelor party. And awesome. And so it should be a very interesting which weekend. Guys, what you guys yeah. doing in detail? A little Can you golf, describe? 
Well, a little golf, a little a little nosh, and a little uh, little drinkies and cigars at a cool. place. Yeah, and then, yeah, no, nothing, nothing too out of the uh, out of the ordinary. The funny part is, is that um, I don't golf, and so therefore it's going to be kind of a uh, Bill Murray from Caddyshack moment for me. Um, I'm just going to be kind of following along with some clubs, just and, drink and uh, drive, chasing a ball, drink and then just you know speed around on the golf cart. Isn't it so weird well, that they allow setup. drinking and driving of the golf cart on this most expensive uh, yeah. recreational sport? Oh, I know, I know. It's, it's it always seems really ridiculous. weird to me, but that's okay. You know, I don't. You know, I'm not sure how much drinking on the golf course is going to because you got to drive everywhere up there in Chicagoland area. Can you so. just take the golf cart? You could. If you get you could, pulled over you, on the highway, can you just tell the cop you're like, no, the lady at the clubhouse said I could drink. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm I'm pretty much uh, certain that they would arrest me at that point. Yeah, because so. there's no doors. No, there are no doors. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, uh, King Speech. Yeah, wonderful. Finn. I, I personally, um, when I saw this the first time, I was hesitant because I didn't know what I didn't know what this was going to be about. I didn't know how it, you know what. You know uh, what the story was. I was not even familiar with the fact that King George the 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 sixth even had a stutter. I didn't know that he had a speech impediment. I had no idea that that was something that he had to overcome. And yet, that's what this story truly is about. It's it's oh excuse me, not just his overcoming of the stutter, but it's a friendship story. It's him, you know, King George or um, you know, uh, Bertie. Birdie. If Birdie you will, Albert. B- yeah, Birdie whatever you want to call him, he has he has right. at least three or four names in yeah. this film. But he's well, the same guy the whole time. Absolutely, Birdie becoming very close friends with somebody who, at first, he believes to be a uh, basically a speech pathologist, uh, a doctor of speech impediments, or something like that. But again, uh, this this person, Lionel Logue, played by. Um, Oh, crud. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Rush. Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush. Yes, and uh, Colin first playing Birdie. Um, you know, he never claims to be a doctor, and yet they treat him as though he's a doctor. And Helen Bonham Carter plays the the wife of our, uh, our you know, Queen Elizabeth, uh, again, a Queen Elizabeth, but um, uh, plays the wife of Birdie, and she goes to find this, him some help. His stutter is so severe. I can't even imagine not being able to spit words out. To, and, and to your and kids, get your, too. You know, it's, I mean, at, yeah, at first it's, I thought, oh, he's got a fear of speaking. Right, a fear, fear of speaking. It opens with him basically making a complete fool of himself. At in Wembley front of Stadium. Him. It's at a, Wembley, and it's broadcast live, so it's almost like dead air and just... Not just completely that air. It's just him making clicking, clicking sounds into a microphone. Like, yeah, and they echo throughout people. the stadium, yeah. and, it's, and it's just the most awkward... Horrible feeling. You, it, you, it's wrenching, and then luckily it gets away from that very quickly. And the, I, the first speech doctor he goes to, the guy who basically makes him jam glass balls that have been soaking marbles. in. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were marbles. Yeah, but they, <laughs> they were soaking in alcohol, and he about chokes on him. How in the world would that help anybody? And it it had a lot of relevance, though. I mean, if you look at how medicine was was viewed even then, I mean, it wasn't the Stone Age, but it was still the days of putting alcoholics in insane asylums and, you know, dealing with hot and cold. Well, they hadn't reached the point where they realized that people who were genuinely crazy or had a mental illness were not possessed or they, you know, they could actually be treated and possibly be brought to a point of stability. But, again— it was a 
backwards way of trying to treat a, a speech impediment by jamming more inside someone's mouth. Yeah. But, you That's know, an interesting point, too. What you were saying, Jimmy, is because at the start of the movie, you get the sense that every person he had gone to had treated uh, the king's or soon to be king's speech impediment just through simple mechanics and exercises when a, most of it was just mental. Mm-hmm. It is a psychological. Yeah, it was truly so a psychological thing. And in, in, in order for him, well, you know, and again, we're jumping around a little bit, but later on when Lionel and Bertie are sitting there and, and Bertie has had a, a blow, you know, his father has passed. And his brother is a weak king, a very weak king. And and so he's sitting there, and he's working on one of Lionel's children's uh, model airplanes because he was never allowed to do so. Lionel basically says to him, you have to put, in order to put a piece of little dab of glue on something and put build part of this airplane, you have to give me some personal insight as to why this bothers you so much. And as a result, he ends up singing his pain. He ends up singing, and it and it's and it's a wonderful, telling scene between two friends because we find out that Bertie, as a child, was basically abused, starved, starved by and abused nanny. by a nanny, and and oh my gosh, forced to switch from right-handed to left-handed again. And I think they alluded that that's what was the actual cause of the stammer. It, you know, that might have been part of it, but I think that the whole horrible treatment he and, – and, and again, not to bag on the on the royalty, of the British royalty in any way, shape, or form, but who raises your children at that point? Well, I mean, George It obviously the wasn't encouraged. the actual – I, I know. It actually wasn't the parents who were raising the children. It was, it was whoever they just tossed them towards, and ugh, I'm sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah, no, it, it definitely speaks – as far as royal formalities and I mean it's you know the the film is beautiful the costumes are beautiful the architecture is stunning but I think that you know what happened to Bertie is kind of telling of you know the results sometimes of what happens when you know these people get so wrapped up in their in their politics and there's you know the um, refinement of, of the British monarch that yeah the kid's going to get raised by nannies. It happens with celebrities and movie stars and you know. Well, I, I think that's this? changed now, but I, I mean, definitely during that time, it was more of a common practice for the the wealthy elite to to have a hands off approach to to parenting. Mm-hmm. If they could step away and just go to their parties and live their lives and visit their kids two or three times a year, then they would do it. Mm-hmm. Then they would definitely do it. And I don't think the, I, I think that, you know, maybe I'm oversimplifying things and, and not giving them enough credit. But again, it's, it smacks to me that at that point in time, it really was not the nurturing, caring atmosphere that a poor kid who was the last, last youngest kid of a group of kids to be born he really needed attention from his mother and father, and he didn't get it. He mm-hmm. didn't get that attention, and of course you're going to develop some psychological issues. You see it every single day. Yeah, I think one of the most telling parts, too, his brother who was epileptic, was his name Johnny? Yeah. He, his brother Johnny was pretty much kept a secret from public because he had epilepsy, and that's really not something that the royal family wanted to claim, so... They kept Johnny under wraps, and he died of epilepsy when he was 13. And he was he was described uh, by George VI as being just a little bit different. But even just being a little bit different is enough at that time for the royal family to say, no, we're going to completely hush this, and you don't exist. Mm-hmm. Sorry. 
Yeah, it was really these kind of movies where it is considered a, a, a historical piece, but it's also an original screenplay. So, you know, the There's speech impediment yeah. is well documented, sure. And, you know, this movie won Best Picture, which I'm totally not surprised because Absolutely it, not. it had a disability. It involved Brits. It had <laughs> Brits are better. Yeah, it had it related with politics, and it had a great ending. So that's pretty much gonna get you a best picture. Um, are you saying that you cannot have a best picture if you don't have a disability? No, no, I'm not, because there's plenty of movies that, that have people. disabilities. But I'm just saying that those characteristics are 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 pretty pretty likely to end in in some sort of. Um, I'm pretty certain that if you had cast the part of uh, King George with Hulk Hogan, this would not <laughs> Listen, have gone brother. as far. Well, Hulk Hogan's not British, though. You see, uh, it doesn't which, matter. Which King? Which King George? The fifth? It's the sixth. Yeah, Bertie. No, Bertie I mean, is like, who I'm referring to. Oh, that <laughs> would have been funny had it been the, the fifth. <laughs> Yeah, he's a father. He's like, listen here, kid. You stammer. Don't take your vitamins. Don't say your prayers. I'm going to body slam you through that royal table. <laughs> Stammering's a joke. Yeah, which I didn't realize when I was watching it, but uh, King George V, Michael Gambon, he was uh, Dumbledore from Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Oh. Totally didn't. There was oh, yeah. Totally. Three other. After watching all the Harry Potters, every movie that I watch that's riddled with British actors, it's just... Well, they all were in Harry Potter at oh, some point yeah. in time. The only one who wasn't in Harry Potter was Colin Firth. Yeah, which he probably should have been. Well, this maybe, was... but again, you know. What you're, what you're saying is he should have been Harry Potter. Exactly. Because <laughs> that would have made a lot of sense. So this movie won Best CGI Picture. Done it. And usually there's like three or four Best Picture nominees. This one had, this was uh, the 2010. Yes. Yeah, 2010 Academy Awards. Up against 127 Hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit. That's phenomenal. They didn't talk about that year. That was a big that's year. That's a pretty yeah. hefty list. Yeah. That's not like, oh, this movie's the the front runner and the clear favorite. That yeah. is a very I, – I didn't even look that's that up. Tough. That's That is a tough list. I mean, there's yeah. – True Grit was incredible. I would I would have a hard time giving a remake a uh, Academy Award. I just couldn't do it. I I could. It, that one clearly deserved it over the original. I think so. I mean, I, I love the uh, anyway. We we're going to get off topic, but no, that's uh, okay. No, I mean, I that, well, that, I think this is part of it too because yeah, it's, we have to make some comparisons to to who they were up against. But again, I think that uh, I, I I think that the characters in True Grit were so fleshed out and more real than the original could ever have been. Now, not taking away from the John Wayne film at all, but I don't know that you got to know them as well as you did in the King's Speech because, quite frankly, this is a character-driven film. It is all about the friendship between Lionel and Bertie mm -hmm. and how Lionel ultimately helps Bertie to overcome this horrific stammer and and to, to become a... Shining beacon for his people, truly. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really helped his people through one of the possibly the, if not the worst time of the British Empire. It it, it was pretty darn close, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, every single day they're after not long after this they're getting attacked. They're they're being bombed. Their homes are destroyed. I mean, it's just a, it's an unbelievable 
it's an unbelievable rise of somebody who had such a low sense of self into a position of of uh, not just power, but because I, I, even then the the British monarchy didn't have a lot of power, but they did. They were figureheads. They were they were who people wanted to be, and that's what today. Today, even that's why the American people are so enamored of the of the royal family is because. Think about it. Who? What little girl wouldn't want to be a princess to Prince William, you know, mm-hmm. or you know, to Andrew, or any of those, any of those, uh, the kids there, you know, and just to be swept off their feet and led into this magical world where it, it truly, you know, it, a perceived magical world, right? We got to see behind the curtain. We got to see what it was truly all about. And even when he was with with his kids, and you brought this up earlier, Jimmy, this is. This was a problem that he didn't just have in front of others, you know, in front of strangers. He had this problem in front of his own children, in front of his wife, in front of people who were truly dear to him. And and that is very telling that this was not just, you know, it's not just anxiety. This is a true deep-seated issue for him. And I, I think that the story of how he overcomes it is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I, th- I think it would have been... Just as well without the war backdrop, but it adds so much because, you know, they start with this, I guess, disability, the speech impediment on kind of an interpersonal level, and it's affected his self-worth and his self-esteem, and he can't read with his kids. And, you know, before he even becomes king, and then he does become king, and he realizes that this, you know, inability to speak is not only going to, you know, poorly reflect on him but it's going to poorly reflect on his family and his country and there's this war and you know that he's he you know his country turns to him and and expects him to have this certain demeanor and you know despite how good his his levies might be and his you know what he looks like on paperwork if he can't speak he's he he can't do it and uh I think it just added such a level of intensity. When I watched it, I didn't realize how uh, suspenseful it was going to be. Oh yeah, especially I mean, the oh, ending absolutely. scene. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I I really messed up when we, me and Anna watched uh, the Imitation Game a couple weeks ago, and they played the King's Speech trailer. And I, if if guys, if you can watch this without watching the trailer, do it because if you watch the trailer, you won't need to watch the movie. The trailer tells you everything. He's afraid. He needs a friend. He meets a friend. He's got an impediment. He, you know, gives this great. They they give you like half the speech at the end, right? And they show you like the last frame of the movie in the trailer, and that, it yeah, drives me crazy. I'm They're sorry, getting better about it. I would say even if you've seen the trailer, though, still check oh, it out. Yeah, if you yeah. Haven't, just because uh, I I didn't watch the trailer, but it sounds like maybe in the trailer they leave out to me what's maybe the more interesting plot or subplot to me. Um, the family dynamic is really engrossing, especially uh, the character portrayed by Guy Pierce. You can call him David or Edward VIII. He's, you can tell he doesn't want to be the king. I mean, flat out, he just wants to have the benefits of being royalty. Right. When he breaks down as soon as he dies, as soon as King George V dies. Yeah, he oh, realizes geez, that yeah. he's screwed. And, you know, he has his uh, his soon-to-be wife who has to, well, get a divorce first. Uh, Wallace well, Simpson, who talk about a scandal at that, and, and yeah, that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about was how how have the um, let's be honest, how have things changed? You know, how has the, more how have really changed? Just the internet because <laughs> it's all, all more public. Well, because yeah. you know, everything is much more public. 
this relationship between Bertie's brother, uh, the would-be king, and this Wallace Simpson, the soon-to-be-divorced wife of a used car salesman, oh you know, from New York City or wherever it was, unbelievable. Even today, people would be all over that, and yet it's far more accepted today than it was then. As a matter of fact, you know, it, the the very public divorce between um, Prince Charles and Princess Di uh, was was probably the breaking point, the 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 point where it became acceptable for British royals to not just publicly set aside or divorce, if you will. Uh, significant others, but to to do so at, with some acceptance, you know, whether you love or hate either side, um, it it became almost acceptable, and I think that's very telling of not just the change in morals in in British culture, but it also throughout throughout all of quote unquote civilized society, you know, mm-hmm. and I I think that the reaction that. The Queen, Queen Elizabeth, Helena Bottom Carter's uh, character has to Wallace is just brilliant. Cold. She's very cold. Cold as mm-hmm. ice. I just... came here to see, I came here on the King's invitation. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that part was like, oh, yeah. I got I that. that. That's just a dagger right straight into Wallace's heart at yeah. that point. So, Well, I yeah. love the, the symbolism, too. So they go to, is it, it's Scotland, right? They go yes. to Scotland, yeah. and there's a party that's being held by... David, who's now King Edward VIII, right. and Wallace, his, I don't even know what you would call her, girlfriend, girlfriend. slash fiance, yeah. is like, oh, I need I need more wine or champagne, so what does he do? Like, a kind of a servant dog, he's the king, and he goes to, like, the wine cellar and fetches a bottle for yeah, us. He's yeah. like, wait, you're the king, you could get someone to do, the, do that, but maybe, that, maybe that's like a backhanded compliment to him, where he's like, yeah, I, I want this life of excess, but I want to do it on my own terms. Yeah, I'm not like really the king. It's yeah. like it didn't really occur to him that, well, she wants wine, I'll go get the wine. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think when he had his initial breakdown, too, when um, uh, Dumbledore dies, um, <laughs> Sir Michael Gaiman. Oh, George, he dies George in Harry fifth. Potter, too. Yeah. God. Yeah. He played another king in another movie, too. This guy is phenomenal. It was so He's heartbreaking when kings, he started really. to lose it. <laughs> When the when the handmaiden came up, and she's like, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "No, I'm horrible." Yeah, I, he, he dies he was like, like no, ten I'm, seconds I'm later. so confused. I I just don't understand what's going on. I signed I'm, this I'm piece of paper. paper and and I, yeah, and, you know, and, somebody holds somebody, their hand somebody, over my hand. And yes, somebody please, somebody my please signature. help me. I I I need to do this or that and the other. And yeah, I mean, it was just yeah. I mean, he played a brilliant, con- brilliantly confused character. I mean, yeah. it was awesome. But but when he sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I I just think that. At first, you really do see, in his interactions with Bertie, you really do see some of that coldness that 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 Bertie grew up with. You know, mm-hmm. you see that distance, that that inability to reach out to this son who is broken and to help him be fixed. And then, after he dies, what were what was the king's last words? Birdie Do you had, remember Bertie and how he had more guts than any oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. put, yeah. put together? And he yeah, wasn't together. around Birdie's to hear it. Ex- exactly, and yeah. he wasn't around to hear it when his dad actually gave him a compliment, actually let him know how he truly felt about him. Mm-hmm. And and that was just heartbreaking as anything else. Because what's the what's the thing you want to hear most from from a, uh, a parental unit is how much they truly care about you, how much they truly. How much you truly mean to them, and and it's absolutely telling at that moment 
when when Bertie just is is dumbfounded. I think a lot of it is telling of masculinity and these like imaginary walls of like uh, gender role stereotypes and how a man is supposed to act and how a man is supposed to. Absolutely. Because there's that scene where uh, King George is listening to uh, Bertie struggle and there's no advice. There's just pounding and pounding and pounding. Yeah, it's spit it out. Do it faster. Do it. Try it again. And, you know, you you assume this man must be smart. You know, you you imagine that this man is a king. He must be smart. He must know what he's doing. But there's no there's no um, there's no nurture there. None whatsoever. And, and you you no. learn you learn later on that that was not a fluke. That's that's how he was raised. That's, Absolutely, and you yeah. see that yeah. you see is. that in uh, Birdie's reaction when he first meets Lionel. He tries to be formal and as distant as possible. Lionel's being very personable, and he wants to get very personal and very psychological. And Birdie can sense that, and his automatic instinct is to push him away and say, "No, you're a quack. I just want you to improve my mechanics to be a better speaker." Yeah. He doesn't realize that he needs to get to the core of what's causing his stutter, his stammer. It's all in his mind because he's been repressed for so long and he hasn't been nurtured. He hasn't been raised, you know, to the level that a normal human being should. So he just pushes away like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone before him and his family had. I was so happy that they focused on that because that was such a that was that was uh you just got such an exact idea of of who this guy is. Like Bertie needs this guy to be a doctor. He needs these this these this regal formality, and he he needs these credentials because in his mind, that's how you're going to get cured. Is you're going to get cured with a doctor, even though you've seen countless doctors and nobody's been able to do anything. It's like yeah. you haven't used this uh, common sense, I guess. And and not only does Lionel want to you know get personal, like you said, Ben, but he wants to do it immediately. You know, and and How just the balls gonna... of calling, you know, even before he was king, but calling the Duke of York. Yeah, how about I call you Birdie? Yeah, that, yeah. that's that's what I'm going to call you. Well, it's like this. At that point in time, what does he have to lose when he finally realizes Nothing. who it is sitting inside his sitting room? Which, by the way, it looked like it had already been attacked by a war. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... seriously, it was the 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 the. Whatever that was, the wallpaper or the paint is peeling off the walls. Yeah, something peeling on the walls. And it's just horrible. The whole entire decor of the room is just practically medieval. Yeah. Now, that may not carry over into their actual residence, but this was where he was helping his patients. And and you had to imagine that that also sets a certain tone. Bertie walks in, sees this this dump basically, and then this formal this informality that Lionel starts to use with him. From the very get-go, he is completely off balance. He is completely over his skis at this point because no one has ever spoken to him like that before. No one, I venture to guess. Yeah, and he's really... Not I was even just going to say, he's really in Lionel's territory, and he's not used to being on someone else's territory. Yeah, Lionel's like, control. no, you're doing this on my terms. I'm not right. going to see you. You're coming, you're to, coming see to see me. You're coming to see me. That's exactly and I right. St- I still yeah. have yet to accept you as a patient. Yeah. I think that was brilliant, too. As a subject, and yeah. The way, I, they, the way they worked on Lionel's characterization to me was brilliant. Like, his, uh, his experience as an actor, mostly 
with you know local productions and his son's like the the Shakespeare quotes he would like well, yeah. he around the corner with the pillow with his and his, I know I love it his suit jacket yeah as as Caliban from the Tempest and 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 again he the games he plays with his sons you can, you can see where his sons get the fierce intelligence you can see where the fun and the love is in this household and I was just looking up the, uh, the uh, Lionel's wife Jennifer and I'm not sure how to spe- pronounce her last name but I'm going to throw it out there Ailey E-H-L-E. She has performed several different movies with Colin Firth. The first that I see, I saw with her was Pride and Prejudice, the six-hour marathon movie that my wife absolutely loves. And I'll be honest. Mr. It's, Dempsey. It, yes. It is very well done. She plays a brilliant character in that. And, and, and in this, she also is brilliant. She's, we're meant to believe that she's Lionel's... Uh, wife of somewhat equal years, but um, there's at least a 15 to 20 year difference between Jeffrey Rush and and Jennifer Ailey, and and I, I think that that the the fact that they um, well she doesn't look old in this, but she definitely looks like the mom. Yeah, she looks well, like the mom. So. I, I I got the idea that they've had a very hard life. Theater theater people are often more youthful than they actually are. They appear younger. Absolutely. They have the energy. And Ben, you were mentioning the decor. I think that they're a very poor family. There's a scene where the kids yeah. are doing their homework oh, and they're yeah. all bundled up in scarves and socks and gloves. You know, and the fact that, you know, you're giving voice consultations to a very wealthy man and you, you mentioned this shilling a couple times at the beginning, right. and then finally at the end he gets it. But well, I mean, you know, it that shows was just his passion. A bet. That was just a bet, though. I mean, that wasn't yeah. even that wasn't even well, a sure, payment. But... So well, I think it, well, I mean, even think about when uh, Queen Elizabeth, when she is first seeking out Lionel's help, the elevator she gets in, the way it goes down. I mean, mm-hmm. the the whole thing. I mean. Today, people might pay a lot of money for something that's throwback like that, but at that time, they weren't paying money because it wasn't throwback and retro. I'm sorry. Yeah. That elevator scares a living daylight. I've seen too many me. horror films, and people step I, into an elevator like that, it's no done. You're way. done. Lights out. There is no way at elevator all. You could nowhere. not pay me enough <laughs> to get We're on the elevator, elevator to hell. Who's in? I would be running Express my elevator. butt up and down yeah. those stairs. I'd be healthy as all get out. There's no way. Uh, that was just creepy. Dudes don't do stairs. Uh, apparently not. However, mm, yes. ugh, awful. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush was absolutely my favorite part of this movie, as he is most movies that he's in. He doesn't He doesn't always pick great movies. He was in House on Haunted Hill with Chris Kattan and Famke Jensen. Not a fantastic film. He probably got paid, so good for him. He you did know? get paid, no, no, but no, you know what? No he was the best part it. of that yeah. movie, oh, and yeah. he was the best part of Merchant of Venice, and he's just he's got such a stage presence, and he's got such a... Um, he's just... Makes every role his own. It's fun to watch. Not he just every... has a quality about Think him. Think about some of the things that he's done. I mean, all of the the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. You know, I mean, all of those movies that he's done where he's played this truly maniacal, wonderful character. I mean, truly a wonderful character. Well, he's just so gregarious in everything he does. He's truly oh. larger than life, and he's animated. Oh, no doubt. And uh, a lot of movies, I really appreciate in the movies when an actor's talking, other actors are on screen. Or on stage, and the actors, even though they're in the background, they're still acting, and they're and still. And he is perfect at and that. And he is perfect, yeah. and he's not just waiting for his next line, but he's in character. You imagine behind the scenes, you know, on set, he's probably a little bit of a nut. Um, 
and uh, it translates a lot more of a nut translates than what, yeah. quite a bit through the movie and one of my favorite roles that he played was in Shakespeare in Love when he played one of the proprietors of of the the plays where he was asking Shakespeare to actually you know produce Romeo and Juliet to write it mm-hmm. and everybody's like freaking out in the end and, and or not in the end but all throughout the entire picture I don't know if you've seen it but his his signature line was everything's going to work out in the end, right? And they're like, how? And he goes, I don't know. It's a mystery. You know, and, and you just, when he says that, you absolutely believe that everything's going to work out in the end. Or at least you look at him like he just grew a third arm out of his forehead. And, and you walk away shaking your head. And, of course, we I don't know if you've seen Shakespeare Love, but it does work out in the end yeah. for the most part. You know, I mean, it's sad and wonderful all at the same time. But again, it's it's I I don't know. He is a he is a such a wonderful character actor, and to put him up against uh, another actor, Colin Firth, I would not ca- play, say he's a character actor. Colin Firth is truly a leading man. He he doesn't blend into the background. He he doesn't rely on heavy makeups. He is a leading man. But putting a brilliant character actor like uh, Jeffrey Rush is up against Colin Firth in this particular instance was absolutely a, a master stroke. Yeah. Because he, Lionel's character was able to draw the king out of his shell and make him a better person. And what's the one thing that Bertie has wanted all along? I mean, just honestly. Just a friend. And there's there's so many of these. Because he doesn't really have friends up until he meets Lionel. And And it makes you wonder how many of these these people who we see on the television who are royalty, whether they be, you know, true royalty or celebrity royalty or – or just raised with privilege, how many of them are some of the most lonely people on the planet because mm-hmm. of their position or their parents' position or their family's position or whatever? It really makes you wonder just a little bit. Even like with professional athletes, it's like, oh, they have you know their core group of friends, but then they go from you know college to whatever league and they get that $20 million contract. Okay, I suddenly have 40 friends i'm using quotation marks right now to you viewers out there and i'm whistling (laughs) but basically when you're in the spotlight it seems like you have to really think more than you would if you are outside of the spotlight about who your true friends are because there are more reasons for people to use you you know and i think that's what this movie nails yeah well and i think uh, colin firth gets a sense right away that Lionel is not out to exploit him or capitalize on him or, you know, he doesn't even tell his wife about him. Yeah. No. For and years. That, that was a great scene. I mean, literally for years. I Absolutely. Mean, he didn't tell his wife. Great scene when, when his wife finally realizes who this extra special patient was that Lionel's been working with this entire time. And when the queen is sitting at the table and she's pouring her own tea, <laughs> she's saying, it's... uh." Uh, what 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 does she say about the pronunciation your of Royal Highness? Your, the first first, time you're the first wrong, time. then uh, mom is in palm, not uh, ma'am as in ham. Or she something was very like that. Helena Bonham Carter for she about was, two minutes. Oh, it was perfect. Tom was though. like, just do your Helena Bonham Carter thing for like a minute. But a man, but it was good. I but mean, again, here's another absolutely brilliant character actress. She and she truly is. The one of the most brilliant character actresses that I've ever seen, if not the most brilliant character actress, you can put her in just about any role and she will she will become that person for that period of time. And 
oh, just just swallow it whole. I mean, it's just uh, she's wonderful. And and you were talking about Harry Potter earlier. She was genuinely creepy in in, in Harry Potter, and and in in uh, what was it? Um, oh, what's the one with the barber with uh, Johnny Sweeney Depp? Todd? Sweeney Todd again, creepy in that one. And and I almost half expected to see uh, Johnny Depp at some point just pop up out of nowhere. Of course, with the hat. Because, well, you he, know he's wearing a hat too because he has this thing in his contract where he has to wear hats down. Yeah, like and he'd be rolling a cigarette has. somewhere. Yeah, he'd exactly. Have a, maybe a, maybe a mustache or goatee of a really ironic mustache. An ironic. He did, he, mustache. He'd just be a guy who walks in for a cameo. Top of the evening until you miss it. Yeah, he's a newspaper man. And that's the ending scene for no reason. Johnny Depp walks into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, and the, with the air raid sirens blaring. And Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Movie Show Theater on 90.7 WAZU. We're talking about The King's Speech today from 2010. This, uh, I wanted to play a scene here if I can, if I can get this working. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Get Emma. up, you can't sit there. Get up. Why not? It's a chair. No, it, that is not a chair. That is, that is, that is St. Edward's chair. People have that carved their names on it. chair. Is the seat on which every king is held and in queen place by a large rock. That is the stone of Schoon. You are, are trivializing oh, you everything. You trivialize I don't care how many royal this of Listen to me! Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? By divine right, if you must. I am your king. No, you're not. You told me so yourself. You said you didn't want it. Why should I waste my time listening because to you? Because I have a right to be oh, and I have a voice! Yes, you do. Awesome. Yeah. The That's way wonderful. that he closes his eyes, certain, I, and this isn't proven, this is just what I've noticed in certain scenes that have very strong emotion, is that actors are very conscientious about, you know, they'll say something and right at the end, they'll close their eyes and they'll open the, their eyes and say the last couple words. Or somebody will close their eyes while they turn their head and then they'll open them while their head is turned. And it just kind of accidentally conveys this sort of... Um, Something. Well, no, well, no. It's it, it's a it's a depth of, of it's a depth of feeling. It's a depth of meaning to the words that they're speaking. It in that particular scene, we truly see who this man is going to become, and and Lionel sees it. He sees his king for the first time. He sees the strength behind the the personality. He sees the ability to absolutely. Have a and as he says, he has a voice, and and Lionel has at that point he has to step back, he has to acquiesce and say, "Yes, you do." And Bertie realizes what Lionel has just done mm-hmm. because that this whole scene leading up to that particular that particular part, he just found out that Lionel's not a doctor. He believes Lionel to be some shyster. He believes him to be somebody who's taking advantage of him. He believes. That at that point, because he doesn't have the credentials, that Lionel is not worthy of helping him any longer. And yet, that's the logical side. The heartfelt side is thinking to himself, I've just been screwed over by my friend. How could this have happened to me? And it angers him and it saddens him. And then he realizes that the credentials mean nothing. Mm -hmm. They mean nothing. Well, Lionel was up front with him. You know, he never once said he, he was ne- a doctor. He never said he was a doctor, and he actually corrected every single every time. single time. Well, and so, he knew what Bertie needed to hear, and I think that was a huge part of it too. Absolutely. And Bertie's whole existence and his family's whole existence 
relies on credentials and, you know, he says there are no letters after my name. And, you know, that's what the whole, you know, British monarch was. And that was such a huge, crucial part of, you know, who are you? Why should I listen to you? What's your who's your your father? Yeah. Lionel had the practical experience of helping people who came back from World War One shell shocked. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and today we would call those individuals uh, uh, people who suffer from post traumatic stress disorder, and and he helped those boys start to speak again. He helped them start to express themselves again, and and there was nothing at that time that was able to identify the whys and the hows of that, and he started to do so. Now that very same thing can apply to those to to individuals who are abused as children. They are suffering from a form of post-traumatic stress disorder, and and those very same methods would work very well, as is evidenced by, you know, truly a fictional film, but with some grains of reality in it. I mean, uh, but is as evidenced by this film. And this scene in, in the, the cathedral before he's about to be coronated, <laughs> it epitomizes how far he's truly come. And how much he truly trusts Lionel to allow him to to basically lead him along the way, even though he is not quote unquote qualified. I love the scene where they are walking and Bertie does not want to go for a walk and Jeffrey Rush throws him his hat and says, We're going for a walk. And the way that that park is lit is it is eye poppingly gorgeous. It's so hazy, it's very dreamlike and you know, it's it's it, they have this confrontation and he Jeffrey Rush basically says, stop being afraid of everything. And Bertie kind of gets this sense of like, well, this is the first time I've heard this accusation of me. Yeah. And immediately, you know, breaks down Jeffrey Rush and says, you're the disappointing son of a brewer and <laughs> I'm the brother of a king. And uh, Jeffrey Rush kind of stops in his tracks and he's. I don't think surprised, but he's he's hurt. He's his he, feelings he are swept, hurt. He's he been, swept his legs. Well, Lionel, yeah. Lionel pretty much by birdie gets called a useless Australian. It's just like, oh, you're just a useless Australian pretty much. You yeah. know, and that's all you're ever going to be. And that's all your family has been. That's pretty harsh. I mean, that's beyond harsh if you just break down those couple of sentences that get spat out, even though it's in anger. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, getting a ton of bricks dropped on you by somebody you're trying to help. Yeah. You know, no matter if he's the king or if he's, you know, just a regular guy, that's well, and, really and, harsh. And Lionel is smart enough to know Bertie's dynamic. And so, you know, he pro I mean, he, he apologized later for his approach, but it shouldn't have surprised him that if you accuse somebody like this of that, they're going to respond as such. Absolutely. And like I said, I, I don't think it was surprising, I guess, to him that he responded that way, but that was a lot. And and he just keeps walking, he lights a cigarette and he just he keeps he walking. He blows him off and then and for just the next basically leaves him, yeah. For the next fifteen minutes is you know, him getting carried away and his brother resigning and yep. and which by the way, I think that when his father first dies, when King George the Sixth first dies or the when King the George fifth. the Fifth yeah. first dies and uh Guy Pierce storms off, which, by the way, it's kind of funny that there is an uh, a Brit playing an Australian, yep. a American playing a Brit. Jeffrey Rush is actually Australian. Yeah, he's Australian, right? And Guy Pierce is American, right? Playing an Australian, 
Yeah, there's lots of. Uh, yeah, he plays. A, he's plays. A Brit. Oh, he plays a Brit. He's a Brit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not Australian. He ca- he's yeah. David slash Edward Yeah. Nate. But Jeffrey Rush is an Australian in real life. Yes, he is. He is. Yes, he is. Here, I'll show you. That's Gotta love awesome. the internet, kids. Yeah. I don't love that picture. That's oh, a, no. That's a creepy uncle picture. Well, yeah. Well, if you think about it, though, he, is he, a creepy he, he uncle, looks though. like a yeah. creepy uncle. He was old when he came out of the womb. I swear he had yeah, the big nose and the droopy jowls and everything when he came out of the womb. I have yet to see one film where he looks young. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised are, he's only 63 years there old. There are a handful of actors like that where it's just like from 1973 through 2003, this guy looked exactly the same in every film he was in. Oh, yeah. With, oh, I mean, I mean, there's a difference between not aging. Like, uh, oh, shoot, Patrick Stewart is finally starting to show his age. But overall, arguable, he looks the same for the most part, you know. Uh, but again, but no, I think that Jeffrey Rush looked old in just about everything that he's done. And I think it has to do with the, the shape of his nose. And he was born to be a character. actor. <laughs> he truly was. So what I was saying is that when King George V dies and Guy Pierce uh, bursts into tears and, and runs off, I think that he knows, you know, obviously this huge pressure that's put on his shoulders. But I think it hits Colin Firth right away that he's not going to be able to handle this. I'm going to end up being king. Exactly. Well, that's what all those meetings are about, too, because he meets with Winston Churchill and then uh, I can't remember his name. But At the party. whoever was the prime minister, you know— at oh, that, that time, time, yeah. Just going over it. And he's not necessarily bad-mouthing his brother. I think he's just seeing what everyone else thinks about, you know, Hitler, the general political landscape. Because even though in his mind he hasn't truly accepted that he will be the king, I think there's a part of him that knows he has to prepare even if he's not 100% ready because his right. brother's going to blow it. Well, and as yeah. much as his speech impediment has completely ruined my life, it's about to get a whole lot worse. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if I could go out for a night of drinking with two celebrities, I think my two answers would be Jeffrey Rush and James Woods. <laughs> we would get into so much trouble. We would get into so much trouble. No, would... I would pick – I would pick um... – Oh, I would pick Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. Oh, that's good. That's a best good buddies. They are best buddies. They are best buddies. You would buddies. feel like the third wheel, I, I bet. I would feel like totally the third wheel, but it would be so worth to watch them out and about and just causing mayhem. Mm-hmm. Or, or if we're just playing this game, one person I would just like to shadow for a day, Bill Murray. Fair Bill enough. Murray. Because he just pops up out of nowhere and crashes parties. He's an urban crashes. myth at this point. He truly is. He's like the Loch Ness monster. He just shows up. He's you would, a more, you know, he's or the abominable snowman. You or whatever. Would he's a merry to... version of of Big Brother. I don't think Bill Murray really exists. Some people he's just don't. What we all want to be. <laughs> he did ask me anything on Reddit, and it was absolutely hysterical. Oh, some he of is, his responses. He is just I, wrong, wrong, I, wrong. I feel like you would fly to. Uh, New York to meet him, and you would shake his hand and like turn around, tie your shoe, and look, and he'd be gone. Well, Lynn, Lynn, would, my wife Lynn was like, "Hey, we ought to just text or or tweet or or get a hold of him somehow and invite him to a bonfire and see what happens." Yeah, because he doesn't uh, have an agent. He just he has a one eight hundred number. He that just you has call. a one eight hundred number. You just give him a call and 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 you say, "Hi, I'm such and such. I live in such and such." We're having a bonfire this evening. You know, if you want to pop by, you're welcome to do so if you're in the area. You should area. give them a little more notice. Well, yeah, no, of course. Oh, you got to give them at least, you know, two weeks or something. But, again, it's one of those situations where why not? Why not try it? The next it would episode's be fun. just going to be a long plea 
to Bill Murray to, to have come him out? hang out with us and maybe yeah. record an episode, you know? Oh. So, Bill Murray, I know you're listening to this right now oh, because yeah. you're our well, number no, one fan. He you is just our don't number say one anything. fan, yeah. You I have a chance like, to really get famous yep. on movie show theater. I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> want to talk to him about movies at no, all. No, I don't want to talk to him about movies. I, I just think want that's to talk kind to of what's collapsed him a little bit. Oh, but I think that I think that some of his roles that he's done over the years, uh, and and no, I, I, I it would be it would be very difficult not to nerd out. It would be so very hard not I to know, completely right? nerd out. I wouldn't want to talk about Caddyshack or, or Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I'd want to leave those out. So anyway, I have a question for you guys then. Um, Favorite scene from the movie? Then, what would be the, what would if you could watch the scene over and over and over again? What would be the scene? Well, the scene, yeah, the the whole scene when they walk into the uh, enormous cathedral and Colin Firth kind of takes power for the first time and tells the cardinal how it's going to be. He's going to sit right. in the king's box, and the cardinal's like, "Oh, sir, this is highly unorthodox. We don't do this sort of thing." He's like, "Well, this is what we're going to do." Like, no, well, this is for family. And he's like, well, that's why he needs to sit there. Yep. And then Jeffrey Rush's reaction during that whole, and then leading up into, you know, the you have a voice speech. That was, you know, and it shows him up in the in the nosebleed seats. And Jeffrey Rush is just so, like, bouncy off the wall. He's like, four easy questions. So I ask, you know, answer these questions, Andy King. I really <laughs> like that scene. That, that was that probably was awesome. my favorite. Yeah, that was cool. Yep. Ben. ben. Definitely the scene where we can't repeat a lot of the words. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where you know yeah. Lionel's Lionel is. Come on, you could do better than that. Yeah. Really swear. <laughs> Lionel's pretty much teaching Bertie how to express his frustration, even though he's not necessarily dealing with the subject um, always head on. He's interspersing curses with how he really feels, and then he'll go into song. And then I love British humor in general. You know, you have – he's still the Duke of York at that point, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's still the Duke yeah, of yeah, York yeah, at that yeah. point. He, but So he's well-known. He's, like, kind of prancing around, screaming, shouting these curses. And then all of a sudden it just cuts to His Lionel's son. sons in the course, like, what's going on? <laughs> like, to me, that – like, the dynamic, awesome. like, that you yeah. still get the complexities of uh, um, the Duke of York slash – Bertie's family situation get the eccentricities of Lionel and his family dynamic, and it kind of puts a lot of the movie in a nutshell with that one scene. It absolutely leads you to believe that the the household of the log the household of the logs is a very open expression area. They can say anything so long as it is in context and respectful to their parents. They're they're free to express themselves, and I think that that is truly brilliant. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite scenes. Also, that's ben. really cool, and I get that's the only reason the movie got an R. And I guess they appealed um, for a PG thirteen rating anyway, and they were I, you turned know, down well, again. there was just one too many of the f words dropped. I think, but uh, but I, I appreciate only... the integrity, and I appreciate oh, yeah. the not cutting it right. Oh right. no, not PG-13. cutting it because you could have had... couldn't have done that and made this such an impact. And right, that right. scene, along with leading up to that scene. All of the different exercises that they're doing with mm-hmm. together the 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 screaming out the window the the up and down and the rolling across the floor and the when the queen is sitting or not the well the soon to be queen is sitting on his chest and he's trying to breathe and she's oh this rather this is so much fun this is rather <laughs> a this is rather a good time I should come more often you know and and so I think all of those things were that that would that whole montage of scenes scenes was absolutely wonderful but I think my favorite scene is 
where he is getting ready to make his speech at the end, mm-hmm. where he is in the room, the waiting room, and he's reading the speech, and he is, again, saying words that we can't say on the radio, and he's using all of the tricks of the trade to, to get through this bit of work that, that has been written for him and to really make it something that is going to be meaningful, that is going to, to, to really have an impact on his people. And then, juxtaposing that over when he actually gets into the booth with Lionel, and they're working together, and he's speaking, and Lionel is then saying all of those things that he can't say on the radio mm-hmm. to him to help him to internalize those things, to help him to to all of those uh, you know it's it's just basically tricks that even even professional speakers use in yeah, order to just to make it relax just to make it more relaxing and to be able to get through stuff i thought those two scenes in particular at the end were absolutely wonderful and and really that sums up the that friendship and that relationship that has grown throughout the film yeah they they did such a good job of portraying that compassion with each other that when they Got into their little fight. I was really bummed out. I really wanted to get back together. Exactly. There's, there's so much. The dynamic is is so there, and it was great. The little end um, credits afterwards. When you find out that they stuck with each other all throughout the war, yeah, he that made they, him the commodore of and that whatever. He, yeah. Well, and that they were friends up until yeah. their, their, their their deaths. I mean, it was absolutely one of the things that I would I I could not have hoped more for in that situation because, quite frankly. Um, you you just hope you find somebody. Now, it, it, there's a difference between mar- being married to your friend and having a friend that you can go to and yell at and and express yourself about your, you know, married friend or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a difference there and those of you who are married out there, you know what I'm talking about. Uh but it it's it's uh, having that external release, that external ability to 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 take not just not just to have somebody to talk to, but who understands you. Mm-hmm. And by that time, they understood each other. Mm-hmm. I really firmly believe that. So. Yeah, the other, the other scene I really liked was when, right after his dad passes when he goes to Lionel's house and he eventually does sing his problems to Lionel. Just very briefly, but, but it was, God, just yeah. the way that, that scene was all Colin Firth and just the oh, way geez, that yeah. he, you know, he um, he was so fixated on this model plane and it was just... The well, he, epitome of a coping mechanism, and and he had to he had to do this to to get this out. You know, there's this. Oh, it was just so. I great. think that was his Oscar moment. Truly, that was what I think that up until that point he was doing a brilliant job. But when you get to that point where he truly releases raw emotion through the you know the singing of Swanee River or whatever it was with his own words added in, describing his pain, describing the abuse that he suffered, describing what happened to him as he was a child. That changed everything. That went from a good performance to an absolutely great performance and truly worthy of an Oscar. Yeah. And in that one, it was all about the complexity of emotions that he portrayed. Because at first, there was hesitance. You know, you get the feeling he really doesn't want to go into this because he might not have even he, – he, maybe he told his, his wife. But that might be the only person he's ever told this. And now there's this guy who he's known who's not completely his friend yet. He hasn't completely let go. So he's – 
he has this model plane in his hands and at first he's hesitant and then you can tell there's sadness, there's anger, and he can blend all of them almost at the same time, which is genius. Right. Mm-hmm. There aren't very many actors who can do that without looking absolutely stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of them, they just overact completely because they just don't know how to do it. You believed what he was saying. Yeah. You didn't just believe it. You felt it. You, you, he made you feel his pain at that point, and that is the signature of somebody who, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish I had that much talent. I wish he, I had he, that much talent. He stretched himself in ways that I could not. I expected him to be the normal, bumbly, accidentally charming Colin Firth that he normally is, you know? That's like, well, yeah, I'm not very my wife's boyfriend, him. you know, who, who happens to be on the screen, <laughs> she's got the hots for him bad. <laughs> he's just 100% cool in Kingsman. I mean, it, just like 100% oh, yeah, I, secret agent cool, and he's just amazing in that, too. Yeah. If anyone has, he's seen like that, the most. Bri- he encapsulates everything. Coincidentally, uh, the word "kings" also in the title. Uh, but yeah. go see Kingsman yeah. too. They didn't pay us to say that either. The Kings. I, no, they sure yeah, didn't yes. pay us to say that. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I love the movie. Absolutely love the movie. So yeah, I thought about maybe doing something uh, more family oriented, lighten it up. Thought about Stand by Me. Then I thought maybe we'll, we should do something uh, really dark. Thought about Taxi Driver. <laughs> That's not a family That's movie. A it teaches heavy. you values, you know. Stay no. off the streets, kids. You no. know that. Can we don't can be we a thirteen-year-old prostitute? Can no. we hold so, off on taxi driver? Too. We are going to do American Beauty, directed by Sam Mendes. My oh, second favorite sh- film of all time. Another family. No. I mean, there's a family in the That's film. That's dark too, though. It's dark, but it's the 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 morals it's are there. It is just absolute no obsession. <laughs> uh. All right. Well. Let's see. We could. Uh... Oh, it's your choice, man. I mean, All right, you know what? I, We're going to do Meteor Man. You didn't want to do American Beauty. Now no, we're doing no, no, Meteor no. Man with Robert. Hey, Townsend. you know what? It, it's, <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's completely up to when you. We make decisions I, I, on you know air. What? Yeah, I mean, if that's what you want to go. What about that's uh, fine. Blank Man? Oh, that's a Damon Wayans classic. I'm going to get you, sucker. That is actually hysterical. The other one I thought about was Black Swan because that film is. Also that uh, again, well, actually, that'd be that'd be a good transition because you uh, could almost. I mean, they're not the same film, obviously, but it's like okay, this is what was strong about this one and strong about this one. Um, yeah, that makes sense. It's still dark, but I think I think I'm going to stick with American Beauty. Okay, fair enough. American <laughs> Beauty. One of my favorite actors. One of my favorite directors. I feel very passionately about this movie. All right. I'm gonna get all liquored up on bourbon before I come in. Is that the but movie? I'm be what a mean drunk? Is that the movie? What with the the pie in it? American American yeah. booty. Is that, yeah, is that Kevin the one with Spacey the pie in it? bones a pie. In case you don't remember. <laughs> oh my god! I know, to be honest though, I never liked American Pie or its no, sequels. No, I hated them. I just didn't get it. Like if there was warm something to get, apple pie. People repeated it, and I saw the movie. It's like that would just be painful, you know, and it's not funny. I don't know about painful, but it certainly would ruin the pie. So anyway, next Tuesday, 9 o'clock, find us here. We're going to be talking about American Beauty. And uh, you can call 214-0756 for tickets to Midnight Matinee. You can also find the 90.7 WAZU Facebook page, also the Movie Show Theater Facebook page. And you can go to movieshowtheater.com to hear all of our past episodes, funny things that we wrote. I think they're funny. Um, and information about us. So, until then, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is Movie Show Theater. Theater.